Welcome to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Richard Capriola has been a mental health and addictions counselor for over two decades. In 2020, he published a book for parents called The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, and a workbook. Rick has been a mental health and addictions counselor, and Rick, I just want to thank you so much. Welcome to Momnificent. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and I've been looking so, so forward to our discussion. Where are you enjoying Momnificent from today? I'm uh, just outside of Houston, Texas, in a uh, suburban uh, area called Katy, Texas, which is about 20, 20 minutes west of Houston. Oh, do you like living there? I love living here. I'm originally oh. from Illinois and spent most of, uh, most of my working career in education and then transitioned over into mental health and then uh, was offered a position at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital. So I moved to Houston and I worked for uh, Menninger for a little over a decade. Wow. Well, it's warmer down there. Oh, I love the weather down here. It's oh, uh, much I'm better jealous. than the, in the Midwest where uh, yes. uh, so much cold and snow and sleet. And <laughs> I dealt with that for a, a long, long time. Yeah, you paid your dues. Yes. I, <laughs> I got to find a Mininger clinic to help me go down south. <laughs> down I'm, I'm ready for some warm weather. Yes. Um, and, and Rick, you were also on the State Board of Education in Illinois, right? Yes, I worked for uh, over three decades for the Illinois State Board of Education in various roles, uh, uh, both in terms of representing the board before the General Assembly and establishing education policy, uh, working directly with the state superintendent of education, and had an opportunity to tour throughout the state and meet many teachers and uh, and school administrators who were working every day to help uh, educate our young children and, and to improve education from uh, around the state. Mm, wow, what an awesome, awesome endeavor. Thank you so much. Uh, so I have a fun question that I like to also start off with. What's one thing that you haven't done, oh, sorry, one thing you've done recently that maybe you have or haven't done for a while that just simply brings you joy? Well, about uh, a year ago, uh, my wife and I uh, adopted a rescue puppy. Um, and uh, so just uh, actually it was yesterday where we celebrated the uh, one year anniversary, we call it his birthday, uh, and uh, celebrated having him into our family and, uh, and that was that was a lot of fun and brought a lot of happiness to us. Is it what size is, is he or she? He's a, uh, he's a he's a he's a mix uh, schnauzer. Uh, he's oh, about yeah. two years old and weighs uh, about uh, somewhere around 30 pounds. Oh, what color is he? He is a mix between silver and black. 
Uh, and oh, he's a, he's a really sweet sweet dog. Very oh. affectionate. He's a lap dog, and uh, mm. uh, he, he's he's just very sweet. So he was uh, found on the streets and was mm. uh, rescued by a Schnauzer rescue organization in Houston, mm. and uh, originally had heartworms. So we weren't able to get him right away while he was going through uh, treatment for that. But uh, uh, eventually, uh, in uh, January of last year, uh, we were able to pick him up, and he's been with us since then, and he's just a great dog oh that's so cute what's his name his his name is pip p-i-p <laughs> that was that was not a name we gave him that's the name he came with that's so cute pip get over here <laughs> oh, yeah, right. so, so rick what what was it that had you shift from what drew you from education into the whole mental health world and and why are you glad today that you made that shift well, um, while I was working in education at the State Board of Education, I also worked part-time as a um, mental health crisis counselor. I was uh, working part-time at a regional mental health crisis center in central Illinois. And I noticed that a lot of the people that were coming to the crisis center from the emergency rooms had not only a mental health crisis they were dealing with, but also had a substance abuse issue that, uh, that they were dealing with. So I went back to the University of Illinois and received a master's degree in basically what is addictions counseling. Uh, continued to work at the crisis center uh, on a part-time basis, um, and then uh, retired from my job at the State Board of Education and working for the state of Illinois. And uh, continued to work at the crisis center until I was offered a job at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas to be an addictions counselor. Mm. And Rick, no matter who I talk to, it feels like everyone knows someone struggling with an addiction. And more, more than I actually want to admit is knowing someone and people knowing someone who've suffered from a loss of a family uh, due to an addiction. So I know that you said something that I think everyone in the world should hear is that every child is vulnerable, no matter who they are or what status they have in society, by being captured by substance abuse. And I know you wrote, wrote this book for parents in a handbook. Maybe you can start off with like what, what warning signs parents should be aware of. Yeah, I, I have said, as you, as you noticed, that um, as you mentioned, every child is vulnerable to being captured by alcohol or drug use. There is no child that's totally protected. There are protective environments, but no child is totally protected. It doesn't matter where you live, urban, suburban, rural area. It doesn't matter what your level of income is. It doesn't matter where you send your child to school. Every child is vulnerable to, uh, uh, to becoming uh, captured by uh, substances like alcohol or marijuana or more, more hardcore drugs. Um, and, and, and I mean that not to cause parents to become paranoid about this issue, but rather to, uh, to help them become better prepared, more informed and more confident that, uh, that this issue is something that if unfortunately they have to deal with, they feel better prepared to be able to deal with it. Um, and, and that's really the reason why I wrote 
wrote my book. You know, so many times I would sit across from a family and I would go through their child's history of using a substance, what substances they were using, how often they were using, and give them a diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And when I finished, they would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, I sort of thought something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. And, and, and these are good parents. These are very good parents doing the best job that they can. They missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So after I left Menninger Clinic, I decided to write this book, uh, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. And one of the things I wanted to do with this book was keep it short because parents are busy. They don't have time to read volumes of information, pack it with a lot of useful information and give parents the warning signs, warning signs for a child that's using alcohol or using marijuana, warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or self-harming themselves, because sometimes uh, these behaviors will accompany a child using a substance. So I wanted them to have the, the, the warning signs so that they knew what to look for, felt better prepared. Um, and then I included information on how the drugs affect the adolescent brain, what, what type of treatments programs are out there, what kind of tests they should look for. Uh, and, and tried to put as much information into this book as I could. And what, what are you seeing as like a trend of what's leading these kids to turn to those vices? Like, is there like something that seems to like be a common thread through the stories or, I mean, it's not the same for every kid, but like, is there something that what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. And you're right. It's it's not the same for every yeah. kid. There are different paths that children uh, use to, to get to drugs. Uh, um, sometimes it's just curiosity. They, they, they've heard about a drug like marijuana and they want to try it and see what it feels like. Sometimes uh, they've heard about it from their, their friends and their peers, or they may be under some type of peer pressure. For some kids, not all kids, but for some kids, there might be an underlying psychological reason why they're using a substance like marijuana. Many of the kids I treated, uh, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. So mm. for some kids, there might be an underlying psychological reason that often gets undiagnosed as to why a child is using a substance to medicate that underlying issue. Um, and there are also two major issues that I think drive substance abuse among teenagers. The first is availability. These drugs are widely available. For example, 85% of high school seniors say that it's easy for them to get marijuana if they want it. 90% of them say it's easy to find alcohol, not a big deal. And, and they, these high school seniors also tell us it's very easy for them to get a hold of drugs like cocaine and amphetamines and tranquilizers. So the number one issue, one issue is these drugs are available to kids and they know it. The other issue is, aside from drugs being widely available to our teenagers, is they don't see these drugs as very harmful. Teenagers do not put a great deal of harm in using marijuana or drinking alcohol. For example, only 22% of high school seniors tell us that using marijuana on a regular basis is harmful 
Only 22% believe that. And only 22% of high school seniors tell us that taking one or two drinks of alcohol nearly every day poses a great risk. So these teenagers report that uh, the drugs are widely available and they're not very harmful. So when you have drugs that are widely available and teenagers who don't think they're very harmful, explains a lot as to why we're seeing what's going on with adolescents using substances today. And I think you brought up a good point on a pre-call that we had that the kids using it haven't felt the effect of it where as an adult, you take it, you show up at work, you're, you're, you know, you're either drunk or, um, you know, you, you had a drug test, God forbid, and you lost your job. Like they haven't felt any loss that we kind of know as adults and or they haven't stepped into it yet or hasn't been made aware to them the serious effects of, of how it could literally deter at the track their life will be on the rest of their life. Um, can, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's very true. I think there are two major differences between adult addiction and adolescent addiction. Uh, the first is brain development. Uh, the adult brain is fully developed by the time a person gets to age 24, 25. But the adolescent brain is still in the process of developing and maturing and, and becomes very vulnerable to being damaged by alcohol and drugs. So the first difference is brain development. The second difference is exactly what you noted, consequences. Adults who have been captured by drugs or alcohol, who have become addicted, so to speak, have oftentimes faced catastrophic consequences as a result of their use. They may have lost a job, they may have lost a marriage and a family, uh, they may have been incarcerated. So these are, these are catastrophic consequences that adults who are addicted often unfortunately face. Adolescents, on the other hand, uh, have faced very few consequences as a result of their substance use. Their biggest consequence is probably their parents coming down on them or restricting them or grounding them, but certainly not the type of catastrophic consequences that many adults face. Uh, adolescents just don't face those kinds of consequences. And what drugs are kids using today? And what would you say has changed over the last few years? Well, adolescents are still attracted to alcohol, marijuana, and vaping of either nicotine or, or marijuana. Those are the primary substances that adolescents are attracted to. There is some use of, of the more hardcore drugs, uh, uh, amphetamines, uh, opiates, uh, prescription substances, uh, but really those tend to be less than 5%. The overwhelming majority of kids are still attracted to alcohol, marijuana, and vaping, which uh, uh, the, the vaping issue uh, has, has become really a very serious issue uh, up until last year. Uh, there was a dramatic increase in the percentage of teenagers that were vaping uh, marijuana and nicotine. For about three years, up until last year, uh, it was exploding. Uh, the, the increases were dramatic as kids began to turn to vaping things like marijuana and nicotine. Uh, it stabilized uh, uh, after about three years um, and actually has uh, started to why, decline. Yeah, I wonder why. Is it because they're doing something else now? Well, or? I think the pandemic has had a tremendous impact on teen substance use. The research that came out this month, which looked at uh, last year, 2021, showed a significant decline in adolescents using substances. Um, it, uh, for the first time, 
uh, in, in 30 years, there was a significant decline in adolescent substance abuse. Um, you know, for example, the percentage of, of high school seniors that were drinking alcohol went from 55% down to 44%. Among 10th graders, alcohol use dropped from 41% down to 29%. Even marijuana showed some significant declines and, and, and vaping showed significant declines during 2021. Now, whether those declines due to the pandemic will continue during 2021 uh, we just don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have data on that in about a year from now. The big question is, are the declines that we saw in 2021 due to the pandemic, are they sustainable? Or will we begin to see an uptick, an increase in substance use during 2022? Because I was going to ask you, how has the pandemic impacted the, the use it had a significant increase because well do you think it's because th that we were so shut down that they couldn't even access it or that think, yeah, or that the numbers of people that they interviewed went down because where i don't know where they you know got these interviews from but if if, if they took a poll at school like our problem with secondary schools kids kids weren't showing up Still, have, still haven't come back. We're still, still trying to find them. So I don't know. It, it really fascinates me, intrigues me, like what, what they think the, the variables were to that decline in number. Well, it's a rather large study involving thousands of, of, of uh, adolescents in, um, in high school. Um, it's done by the University of Michigan every year. They've been doing it for 20 or 30 years. Uh, so they have a great database of, of trends that, that are going on. As to what, what caused the decline, clearly it was the pandemic and the effect of the pandemic where kids were pulled away from their social environment, pulled away from their, their classrooms, pulled away from their activities and, and, and social interactions, and were pretty much uh, uh, for a large part of last year isolated at home with very little social uh, contact other than perhaps social media contact. And I think that that was, um, was a big part of it. Uh, and I think also what affected it was, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, children seeing the effect of the pandemic on their families, uh, certain anxiety and fears associated with it. But I think bottom line is kids just didn't have access to the drugs that they had before the pandemic. Now, wow. now they're starting to transition back into school because schools are opened up. Kids are back into classrooms. Kids are back into social activities. And the big question is, are we going to see an uptick, an increase in substance abuse during uh, 2022? Or are we, uh, are we going to be able to sustain the decline that we saw in 2021? Mm. And so would you say that it, it, like the solution for this is awareness? If we can help kids, maybe we need to make kids more aware of the effects of it. Do you think that has a piece to do with solving this problem or? I think the key to solving this problem lies within the education community. Um, and by that, I mean that we need to get away from the traditional drugs are not good, drugs are harmful, drugs shouldn't be used, drugs are illegal pitch, uh, because those don't mean anything to kids. They don't. You're absolutely and, right. And instead, switch it to a neuroscience approach, because the one thing that I did notice that 
uh, that, that teenagers paid attention to when I was working with them was they were interested in the neuroscience. They were interested in how their brains work. They were interested in how drugs worked within the brain. That captured their attention, much more so than me telling them, you know, their grades are going to decline or they're going to drop out of school or they won't get a job or they won't get into college. They didn't believe any of that. But they were interested in the neuroscience. So from an education perspective, what I would do is I would start in the elementary grades and I would start by educating kids elementary children on the neuroscience what their brain is what their brain does what different areas of the brains are responsible for you know you have an area of the brain that helps you speak you have an area of the brain that helps you walk you have an area of the brain that helps you think logically um, so that kids in elementary grades get a good understanding of how their brain works and the importance of their brain then as they move into middle school and high school i would start to add in how drugs work in the brain. So in elementary grades, they've got a good understanding of what the brain is and how it works and how important it is. And then in middle school and high school, you begin to introduce what can drugs do to the brain. I think that approach probably has a better chance of keeping kids away from uh, using substances than just telling them it's illegal and bad for them. Do you know of any district or state that actually has that requirement in their curriculum? No. And that's part of the problem. All right, Rick, you and I are, have got our next mission. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think because, if we could, I think if we could get one Rick, school district, just one school district to start a pilot wow, project on it, this is, this uh, is I think after, uh, after about uh, 10 years, you would see some dramatic changes. I think so. I think so. Okay, well, you and I have to come back to this thought because this is, this is there, I think there's, there's a lot of what you're saying here as an answer for us because... Rick, right now in our schools that I'm thinking of in the district that I work here in Delaware, uh, I'm sure I might not be thinking of everything, but one of the requirements that all kids take at all use elementary, for example, um, is is like teaching kids about their private parts and not letting anybody touch you and being aware of that. Like they, we finally got that in our district to be consistent across a training in every elementary school. So it makes me think of that. It, it's got to be a similar thing that this is as important as that, and it is going to be taught, and here's what's taught, and the resources are given to the teacher, or whether it's, you know, people come in and, and help them, because I think it's powerful, especially that you were able to see what teenagers responded to when you spoke about something that could help them change their mind about it. Because there is what we think, drug awareness, say no to drugs, ooh, ha, roo, roo, you know what I mean? But everyone's wasting their breath. Right. You know, on some activities that we think are bringing awareness or not. And so I just I really appreciate what you're saying and, and the experience and and what what you noticed when you did talk to them that could help guide us to 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 bring this awareness to kids and families. I think there's a, a false assumption that if if we have an assembly once a year and we talk about drugs, that that that's sufficient. And we and we know that that's not true. The evidence is there uh, that 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 it's not working. Um, what we need to find is a, a different approach, like I was uh, recommending, and and a school district that's willing to invest the resources almost on a pilot project to see how this works over time, starting with elementary kids, and then tracking it throughout the year. 
years. It's, it's not a one-time deal. This has to be started in the elementary grades and then reinforced through middle school and high school. But, but, but it's an approach that may yield a, a significant difference in kids moving towards uh, substances. Yeah, well, Delaware needs it like every state needs it, but we, we do here in Delaware have a high, high rate of substance abuse and overdose and uh, it is just it, it it's it's quite rampant and alarming when you look at the numbers it's it, it it's a I know it's a big problem everywhere, but it is really, really huge. Well, a school so, district might want to put a proposal into either the federal department of education or the state department of education and see if they'd be willing to uh, put some money behind a project to, to do this. Yeah. It's hard to think that they wouldn't. Um, so yeah, I, I really uh, love, love your thoughts on that. So if, if I suspect my child is using or abusing, What's the first thing I should do? What do, you, what do you say to parents? How do you help us become aware of something? The first thing you should do is have a discussion with your child. And by that, I mean, you know, don't, don't threaten them, don't accuse them of, of, of anything, but, but have a, an open discussion with your child. And by that, I mean, you wanna come at this discussion from a, a, a curiosity point of view. In other words, I'm seeing these behaviors and I'm curious as to why I'm seeing them. Or I have this concern, can you help me understand why I do and what's going on? So you approach it from a curiosity stand, standpoint, a curiosity, <clears throat> excuse me, point of view, hoping that the child will respond to that and open up to you and maybe maybe you'll learn some information. So, um, you know, we're, we're really good when we talk to each other and when we talk to children, um, hearing their words. Uh, we're not so good sometimes at hearing the feelings behind the words. And that's, and that's a skill that every parent can practice and every parent can learn on how to listen to your child's feelings as well as you listen to their words. So have a discussion with the child, come at it from a curiosity inquiring point of view and see if you can get some information. Now, that's a discussion that's likely to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up and the child's going to become argumentative and angry and defensive, or it may go the other way and you learn some things. But, but regardless of how the discussion goes, if you're still concerned as a parent, I think the next step is to move to the assessments that I have in my book so that you can get some professional testing and some assessments done and get the professionals to give you an overview of what's going on and if needed, put together a treatment plan and a diagnosis. So the assessments in, in the workbook or the book are, are, are take us to places who, who do conduct those assessments? Yes, they tell you what assessments are important. For example, you'll need an addictions assessment. That's what I was doing. So that you get a comprehensive view of the substances your child was using, how often they were using, how much they were using, and if it's appropriate, if there's a substance use disorder diagnosis, and, and whether the substance use is mild, moderate, or severe. That's how we classify them. But you also need to get a psychological assessment or a neuropsychological assessment, which you'll either rule in or rule out 
whether or not there's any underlying issues that you should be aware of that your child might be medicating. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's some type of trauma or bullying that you didn't know about. Uh, so you wanna rule in or rule out if there's any underlying issues that your child might be struggling with that they're using a substance like marijuana to medicate. So you wanna get a psychological or a neuropsychological assessment done as well. So Rick, wh why, why marijuana? And maybe I should know this, but why, because uh, there's, there, there's, there are different drugs, but, but why is the main one that you're mentioning marijuana? Is it because it's Be the cheapest because, or it's the, I, I just don't know. <laughs> because it's one of the most frequently used drugs among okay. the adolescent population. Okay. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's basically, um, you know, one in three, one in three high school seniors reporting some type of illicit drug, primarily marijuana. Okay. Uh, you know, roughly 31% of high school seniors are using marijuana. About 47% uh, are drinking alcohol. Those percentages are much, much higher than any other drug that's out there. Most other drugs, uh, you know, are, are 5% or, or, or less among the uh, high school population. But alcohol and marijuana, uh, well over a third of high school seniors are using one or, or, or both of those drugs. Jeez. And then, so is your, is your book and or your workbook only for parents who kind of their child is addicted or what book or resource or, or would you say your book is helpful for a parent who just wants to be proactive and knowledgeable about this? My book is for both, really, for, for a parent that might be struggling with this issue or, or starting to deal with this issue. But just as importantly, it is for a parent that might have a preteen. Uh, who might have a child that is, uh, you know, anywhere from elementary school to middle school, uh, is, is not confronted this issue yet, but just wants to be more knowledgeable about it, wants to know the warning signs to look for, and just wants to be feel better prepared that if they're confronted with this issue, they feel more confident, they feel less afraid, less paranoid, and more confident that if they have to deal with with this issue, they now feel better prepared to deal with it. They understand about these drugs. They understand how they work in the brain. They know what assessments will be needed. They have the resources and, and, and they know what treatment programs are available so that they're not caught in a position like so many parents that I worked with where it becomes a crisis and they, and they panic and they don't know what to do. Knowledge is power. So the earlier these parents parents can learn this information and feel more confident and better prepared, I think the better they're going to feel about this topic. And I think the message needs to be shared more and more often that it could never happen to my child is not anything any of us should settle for or with. And, and, and the importance and the awareness, because I think it's so easy to think that it could never happen to my child. And yet, we can all think of someone who knows someone or has a family member who really, really has struggled or even unfortunately has, has, has taken their life um, from it. And so I really appreciate you coming on this podcast today and I, and I hope to invite you on again. 
Um, I know you have some things we could talk about with the impacts and the power of social media and its effects on kids and, 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 and just some continued conversations around the mental health of kids. And I know you and I are in the, uh, the beta stages of coming, putting together a summit where we could bring some, some people across the country to really help our parents with mental health resources and, and being, raising awareness to a bunch of different topics um, that are really pressing right now. So um, where can someone find and follow you, Rick? I think the easiest way is to go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Uh, once you go to that website, you will find resources. I just posted a couple of blog articles on mental health and substance abuse. Um, there are um, uh, resources that are there in terms of, you can read a sample of the book. Um, there are blog articles. Uh, there's a link that will take you directly to Amazon where you can buy the book either as a Kindle for people who like to read on a Kindle or a paperback version for people who like to highlight and under line and keep it as a resource on their bookshelf. There's also, as you mentioned, a parent handbook. It's a short handbook that I wrote to help parents because we often forget that it's not just the child that's going through this crisis. It's the parent that's going through this crisis. And parents need help too. It's not just the child that needs help. Parents need help too. So I put together this parent handbook that has exercises on, on, uh, on for example, how to how to how to talk to your child uh, exercise on how to deal with anxiety uh, there's an exercise on where you write a letter to your child you don't have to share it with your child but you write a letter to your child and you write down what all this is doing to you as a parent how this uh, is affecting you so I wanted to make this resource available for parents because they need help too and uh, and there's information on the parent workbook uh, on, on the website too so um, if you want to know more about the book. Uh, if you want to order either the main book or the parent workbook, the easiest thing to do is to go to the website, helptheaddictedchild.com. There's also a link where you can send me a note or ask me a question um, that you'll be able to do on the website as well. Thank you, Rick. And I'll add all those that information in the description notes of the show. And I really appreciate that you are uh, helping support parents who are or may deal with this or want to learn and to be proactive in this situation. Um, and I think that's really key because sometimes a parent can feel at lost or alone or, or um, lost. Like, where do I even start? What do I even, um, and then you can look at other people around you and just be like, no one's going through this but me. <laughs> and so that feeling of, of, of being alone, I think sounds like your workbook and I appreciate you they do, they putting do, yourself they, out they, there to support. They do feel alone, and, and many times they they start to um, question, you know, what kind of a parent did I, am I? What, what did I do wrong? How did I miss the warning signs? So you know? and, 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 and they go on a guilt trip. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I think those are very, very normal reactions. But, uh, um, but, you know, that's why I say parents need help, too. They, they need they need a partner, they need, they need help on this journey, because it's going to be a long journey. There's no quick fix here. If you have a child who's addicted to alcohol or marijuana or any any drug, um, it's going to be a journey and, and, and you will need assistance and support as you go along that journey as well. Well, Rick, thank you so much for your time and all your valuable information and insights. Thanks for being you. 
thank you so much for uh, for having me and for uh, participating in the discussion, which I hope everybody finds helpful. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.